welcome to episode 212 of Control the Controllables. We have our fourth ever podcast short coming to you today. And what a guest we have. And I, I have to share a little story. I, I am actually out here in Melbourne, Australia for, for the Australian Open 2024. And our guest today, John Millman, it's his last ever tournament. He, he announced back in December that he would be playing one more Australian Open. And as I'm sat here, I'm in one of these little, anyone that's been to the Australian Open as a player or as a coach, you'll know about these little pods that they have, these soundproof pods. And we'll talk about this more in our next in our next episode as we preview the Australian Open in a couple of days, because it's such a fantastic event here. But as I put my headphones on and my microphone together, I hear an announcement come out across the tannoy that is calling John Millman to court three for his match. And I just had a little smile there, like what the timing of that. It wasn't set up that way, uh, but John Millman is currently walking to his court. Is it for the final time? Are we going to see a Roy of the Rovers story, a, a final push in the in the last tournament of his career as he starts first round qualifying here in Melbourne. But yeah, we, we thought today's episode, John Millman, we spoke to him. He was one of our first guests. I think it was back number 25, back in the day Then we were in, our, in the pandemic and we started the podcast. But John came on and... I mean, I, I left thinking this guy's going to be the, the, the president of Australia or the prime minister in Australia, maybe the president and the CEO of the ATP because he, he speaks so beautifully well. And I think he's a fantastic a role model that's tangible. You know, I think sometimes in tennis, the role models we see on the TV aren't always tangible because they have this almost superhuman talent, whereas John Millman wasn't of that ilk. You know, he's been somebody who has done, as we say, control the controllables. And that was, as we see from from this part of our conversation, that's a big, been a big part of his philosophy over the last 20, 30 years as he's put together a, a fantastic career. And he's someone that we can just learn so much from. And I wish John very well. I hope that he's going to be here the next next few days and into the main draw. And he gets his Rod Laver match against a big name. We know that he's had a five-setter before with Roger Federer here on Rod Laver Arena, losing 7-6 in the, in the fifth set. And we also know he beat Roger Federer in 2018 in the US Open. So he's the man for the big stage. But... We thought this was a really fitting way, a fitting tribute to John and also to share one that you might not if you've been relatively new to the podcast or even you've been in the podcast, listening to the podcast for two, two and a half years. This might have been one of our first that you haven't got around to listening. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a philosophy that's very close to my heart. And I'm going to pass you over to John Millman. The beauty of tennis is you start off at zero wall and if you have a, an unbelievable day, even, you know, if you're well outside a hundred, you can definitely match it with a guy inside a hundred because the level's so close. Uh, you have to battle your way through. It's no easy feat um, coming back from say an injury, having time off and then having to battle through futures and challenges again, because 
And that's why I'm a big believer that you have to keep on improving your game. Otherwise, the game goes past you. And other guys who are outside the 100 will catch up and they'll, they'll go past you. I think one of the big differences is, is, is turning up week in, week out. Yeah. Um, because you have to be consistent. You're going to lose first-round matches. That happens. Yeah. But you have to be consistent week in, week out, doing the right processes, doing, being professional uh, week in, week out. And they can't just be one-off weeks because you won't build up a ranking like that. And so I think that that's probably where a guy who's 400, 500, yeah. to make that next step to get to 200 and then the next step again, I always used to do it in progressions. Yeah. And then the next step again to break into that 100. It's that consistency of turning up week in, week out, not getting disheartened by poor results, but, but being able to, to turn up the next week and go again because that's tough. Really, it's tough. You're on the road for... You're three months into a trip, you're tired, uh, you kind of want to go home. You have to be resilient and then you still have to keep in sight in your mind, you know, what this is all for. Um, And so I think that that's probably a big thing, that consistency week in, week out and and turning up to work every day. Um, And it's easier said than done. It's by no means easy. And I think it's actually a skill in itself. We always talk about all little things oh what are your weapons um and and when you look at tennis you know you might say oh Juan Carlos Ferrero what a forehand you know a great forehand Gonzalez what a forehand oh Nick Kyrgios what a serve um everyone has these these weapons and it's easy to point out shots as your weapons but mentally how tough is he how resilient is he what level can he bring day in day out these are other little weapons that um, that really can help you throughout your career. I think we lose track a little bit of that. I think sometimes we just see what's, what's on the paper, what's there in front of our eyes, but dive a little deeper and, and work out um, what strengths you possess. And it's not just the ones that you see on the TV. There's so many other uh, little areas that you can maximize um, to get the most out of your game. And I think probably some guys aren't doing that right now. Yeah. No, very good. And I think, yeah, I mean, the big serves, it's very tangible, isn't it? You know, yeah. the mental toughness is, it's quite hard to touch it. <laughs> it's quite hard yeah. to see. And I hope what I say next is, is a compliment. Um, yep. uh, it's, it's meant as a compliment, very much so. I know you're a big Liverpool fan. Yes. Um, I'm going to liken you to James Milner. You yep. know, it's somebody who, you know, is, is, I mean, I'm a big Newcastle fan and I know how reliable he was even at Newcastle. Yep. How, how have you created that? Because that, exactly what you say, it is a massive, massive, massive attribute in life, not just in tennis. Yep. What have your daily habits been and your, your key values that you've stuck to that have enabled you to just keep going along this journey every single day? Because yep. not many people do it. It's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, look, there's probably a couple of things. Uh, Probably the biggest thing that I've, that I've lived by and probably you're spot on with, with James Milner because I think that, you know, if, if you were having a chat with him, um, I'm sure he could relate to this, is, is something that's driven me and what even drove me, especially after my, my shoulder surgery. I was about, my second shoulder surgery, I was about 130 in the world. And the year before, I'd had about four months um, of club tennis and I wasn't going to play that this year because I saw it as a real opportunity, defending no points to make that top 100. And something that drove me through that process even and has driven me my whole life is, is I'm constantly competing against myself and, and 
the the thing is for me is I didn't stop then and I probably was close to stopping. There were a lot of stop starts and there were a lot of times I doubted myself, but I felt as if I hadn't maximized my potential. And that's what drives me every single day to, to maximize my potential. If I feel as if, uh, let's say you're squeezing a lemon and you want to get all the juice out of it. I just want that. And if I can finish my career and the juice is, is dry from that lemon, then, you know, I'll be as happy as Larry because I think that that is the greatest um, justice that you can do to yourself yeah. is to milk the well clean of, of, of your ability, get the most out of your game. And look, the, the top guys are, are freaks and, and um, when you're a kid, you grow up and you, you want to win grand slams. You know, you're, you're six, seven years old and you want to win grand slams. That's what you're thinking. Oh, I'm going to win Wimbledon. And when you get older, your goals change a little bit because you start, you know, realism kicks in and, and you still want to have those dreams. There's no, no doubt. And when you're going on a run at the US Open and you're in the quarterfinals and you've just beaten Roger, you know, you, anything's possible. So there's still dreams. You still, you've still got a dream and you've still got to dream big. But for me, the most important thing that, that I can do in my career is to maximize my potential. And if I do that, I can be pretty happy when all's said and done. And I think I'm well on the way of doing that. So I've always looked for, I think with that, you're always looking then for little improvements in your game. Yeah. Um, when you're working out and you're doing hill sprints, you're trying to get a little bit more out of your game. When yeah. you're doing the boring little prehab and rehab exercises, you're doing it knowing that this is so boring and it's tedious and yeah. I'm not loving it because you don't love that type of stuff. Yeah. But you do it knowing that if I do do these little things, you know, that, that's maybe a, a 0.1 of a percent that I'm going to be getting out of my game. So I think that that holds you in really good stead. So if, if, if anyone's listening, I think that, um, and to take away anything, that's the biggest thing that, that I've done always is I, I've had that in my mind. Every day when I wake up, I want to be just the best version of myself and I want to, I want to squeeze that lemon dry. And if I can do that, I'll be pretty happy. Very good. Paddy Rafter was someone we all looked up to. But then as I got a bit older and I started to start not marrying my game, but starting to, to look at certain players and how they went about business, someone like Leighton was obviously in the forefront of my mind, being Australian and, and the way he went about business. He, his tenacity, his will to win, his desire... And, and the way he loved engaging in a battle. And, and that's part of tennis. I think as a kid, you've got to enjoy competition. Um, because if you don't enjoy competition, tennis isn't for you. And that's fine. Not everyone. It's not for everyone. But Leighton was someone that when he walked on the court, you could just tell he just wanted to get into, into a battle. He wanted to get into a fight. He was ready to go. And I've been super lucky to actually... Um, get to know Leighton the more my career has gone on obviously he's our Davis Cup captain and the Davis Cup is, is an environment I absolutely love being a part of and thrive upon and not just Leighton there but you know one of his mentors Tony Roach um, is a part of the setup and and Roachy is someone that should get a hell of a lot more credit than what he does here in Australia you know he's obviously well respected but he's done more for for tennis in Australia than I think anyone I know so um, being in those environments and, and learning off these guys is, I mean, you can't put a, you can't put a dollar figure on it. It's, 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 uh, it's amazing. And 
yeah, look, someone like Leighton, just the way he operated. Um, we talk about someone who got the most out of his game. I think that's, I think that's Leighton, you know. And people forget just how good Leighton was because he cracked it at such a young age. Um, but he was, I mean, what a competitor. I think he'll go down as probably the, one of the best competitors that, that this game's ever had. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest compliments. If, if, if I was speaking to him today, um, I'm sure, I reckon he would take that as you know, one of the biggest compliments that, that you could give him. So um, I've been very lucky to, to be exposed into that environment. There's no greater honour than playing for, for your country. And to do it when Leighton's on your bench, um, someone that you greatly admire, and Tony Roach is, is on, the, on the bench just behind the bench, um, you don't forget that. And, and for the rest of my life, long past I played tennis, there'll be the moments that I've probably enjoyed nearly the most in my career. Your experiences, a couple I'd love to just get your, your feeling on. You know, first one, we, we have to talk about the Roger Federer match this year. Yep. That was really an open. How was that from your eyes? And how, how was it to be a part of such an amazing match? Well, first of all... Uh, it was in Australia, so the dynamic's a little bit different. You always want to play well in your home country. Rod Laver Arena is only a, a court that I've actually played on once before. The warm-up was actually pretty cool. Um, I went out there to warm up, and Roger had the same time. And uh, Roger had Marit Safin warming him up. And I had, I had Leighton Hewitt warming me up. So it was, kind of like, yeah, it was kind of like spot the odd one out that doesn't have uh, the Grand Slam. So. Um, that was actually pretty cool. Uh, I felt very relaxed throughout that match. Um, for whatever reason, I sent him to, you know, most of the times I match up pretty well with Roger. And obviously, it came down to the wire and, and you know, I, I, I had a really good chance to, to cause another upset in my home slam, which would have been really special. Yeah. Um, I've looked back on it, as you do. You look back on the match and... I don't think, and I've replayed the match, I don't think that I did much wrong, even when I got into you know, a winning situation. I think sometimes these top players, they're the top players for a reason, and sometimes they're, just, they're really hard to finish off because they're bloody good. Yeah. I don't think I did much wrong. To get myself in that position, I hit three really good passing shots. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think I did much wrong. And the good thing is there, I actually didn't feel nervous. And... It was yeah. the same at the U.S. Open. It was, uh, I think, once you start feeling nervous, you, you stop having um, clarity in your mind. When you stop thinking clearly, you start to, to make poor decisions. So you need to have a clear mind to make good decisions. Yeah. And I did feel as if I was thinking really clearly. Look, I would have loved to have walked up to the line and served an ace or something. Yeah. Trust me, I would have loved that at 8-5. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's tennis. You're bitterly disappointed when you finish the match. You've, you've yeah. gone out there for four and a half hours and um, you've left it all on the line. And the next day it hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side too, I'm a big believer in controlling the controllables. It's a bit of a mantra that I've always had. I'm going to go out there and control what I can control. Sometimes you don't really... It's not going to come off amazing. It's not going to come out of the middle the whole time. Um, I'm not going to play someone's reputation. I'm going to control what I can control. And I can control my effort that I bring on the court. I can control my physicality that I bring on the court. Um, I can control um, 
my tenacity that I bring on the court. So there's all these little things that I can control. And, and when I walked off the court and after a day, it, it, you know, day of hurt, um, a day of maybe self-pity, um, you, you can look at yourself and you can go, man, I, I gave that a crack. And that's been pretty much my whole career. I just, I just want to be someone that gives it a crack. And, uh, and that's what I did in that match. I, I went out there, back was up against the wall and I, and I gave it a real, real shake. And it's normal to feel disappointed because that's, that's sport and that's the emotions of sport. And that's why we love it. Um, because you do get some type of feeling, you get a great feeling when you win, when you lose, you, you get, you get these uh, feelings of disappointment, but you know, my, my, my family were proud of me. My miso was proud of me. Um, my mates were proud of me. And there was an element of satisfaction that I gave it a, a real, a real shakeup. There was a, also an element of disappointment, but it's really important to, to be able to look at yourself. For me, that's the most important thing. To be able to look at myself in the mirror after you get out of the shower and you say to yourself, man, I, I tried my hardest. A man that is wise beyond his years. And, you know, as I listened back to that episode, it, it really was just a, a brilliant conversation. And if you want to listen to the full conversation, then we will leave the link in the show notes. It's episode 25 of Control the Controllables. And I would certainly say... It shows us in our early days. I didn't have the brilliance of my wife editing the podcast at that point. And it does make me cringe a little bit when I listen to the editing that I was doing uh, on my mobile phone back in the days we started the podcast. Um, but I think what John says overrides all of that. And the other one that I just want to point you towards is episode 130, which is Craig Tiley. And obviously we're as we start the Aussie Open, I think it's a really nice one to, to to listen to because over the 200 plus episodes we have, we often ask your favourite Grand Slam and nine times out of 10, someone says the Australian Open. And it's 12 years since I've been here. And I guess, not, not that you forget, I loved my experience back in 2012, but it really is eye-opening when you get here just to see just the details that are thought of for the players and for the coaches and for all of the teams. You can see why everybody sees this as a special place to come and to start start their year. And obviously Craig Tiley is a massive part of that as the, as the tournament director, someone who, again, has a, an amazing experience and knowledge in this sport. You know, So I would just direct you towards that one. I think it's, a, it's another nice episode for you to listen to. And then my last thing to say is just look out because we're, we've got our panellists coming together. We're going to wait for the draw to be done. The draw's done here in Melbourne tomorrow. Um, and I think that's a, it's a nice time for us to have a conversation after that because we know that, and, and I don't like it when you see it on social media and people start telling us who's playing who in the quarterfinals. And I think that's such a disservice to these incredible athletes that, in qualifying, you know, these incredible athletes that are playing their first Grand Slams, these incredible athletes that have had a career at 50-60 in the world and I'm so excited to see whose week it's going to be, whose fortnight who's, which stories are going to come out we will try and predict or certainly share 
our insights and knowledges into those names for you to watch. I think we might have some consistent predictions on who might be winning the event, but let's see. You know, I think the draw will open up some some beautiful first round matches for us to get our, our teeth in. Wherever you are in the world, Sunday, it starts. It's an exciting time for everybody. I know there's a big time difference, but it tends to be if you're in Europe, you wake up in the morning and you have those night matches. You know, if you're in America, who knows that 16 hours, the difference is so much, it almost becomes a full day. But again, you will have those night matches happening at a relatively normal time for you to be able to, to watch that. And, and, also, and also the daytime matches as well. So it's going to be exciting. It's it's going to be a great start to the year. It just always is. And we thank you for listening. We thank you, John Millman, for all that you've done in the sport of tennis and for, for the lessons that you've taught us. And I don't suppose this will be the last time that you will see us. And I'm sure we're still going to get so much from you in many different capacities. But looking forward to bringing lots more podcast episodes to you through 2024 but until next time i'm dan kiernan we are control the controllables